Welcome to DMs After Dark. Less late night hookup texts, more mid-game rule lookup checks. We're a bunch of dungeon masters and game masters from Rhode Island, and we are here to talk to you guys about RPG game design. I'm Rainy, and I have an RPG problem. I feel like we should all chime in like Alcoholics Anonymous after that. Hi, yeah. Rainy. Hi, <laughs> I will go next because I talked hello. I am Sarah. I got into RPGs for a year, disappeared for about six years, and now I am back. With a vengeance. With a mighty vengeance. Hi, I'm Christian. I am the grognard of the group. I um, got into RPGs probably before some of these people were born, and I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, hi, I am Jessica. I have gotten to D&D just because all of my friends were doing it at the time. And then I just haven't left since. I've been playing now for 10 years now, maybe. And I've been DMing for maybe like two or three. I've, I've run like three games brand new to it. Uh, still learning, always learning. I feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> That's perfect. That's what we're here for. Hi, I'm Amber. I've been a uh playing RPGs since, oh God, for about 18 years now, since I was a little baby, basically. I work as a librarian during the day where I get other people involved in RPGs. I have the best job in the world, and I am involved in way too many campaigns in my downtime. No such thing. There is. There is a problem when it starts to cross over into regular functioning life. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah that's, yep, that's fair. i go to work that's fair but you know i come home i play dnd <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have this podcast to just do more <laughs> that's right yeah we can't get enough so we're no, just we're, gonna keep talking about it we're doing this to ourselves let's be honest do a podcast about rpgs and then i get off of it and i play more rpgs <laughs> And then talk more about RPGs. Yes. Well, speaking of the podcast, this is the first ever episode of our podcast and first in a series that we're calling Modified Roles, where we're going to discuss different approaches to common RPG design elements, give advice and share our experiences using these topics in our own games. This episode's topic is one that I think is appropriate for the start of a podcast and the start of our DMs After Dark bi-weekly Twitch stream that we're going to be doing, actual play. And this episode is going to be about session zeros. So maybe we should just dive right in and start with anybody who's not familiar. Let's tell them, what is a session zero? I'll take that, Rainy. Session zero, what is it to me? It is the groundwork for beginning the campaign because I have been in games where there were no session zeros and people show up and they're not all on the same page. So it is very, very worthwhile for everybody involved just to kind of show up, bounce some ideas off each other. That way everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what to expect, probably the most important thing. And then everybody can go into the game with their eyes open or not. Yeah, I just want to add that for at least my personal group, we've only been doing session zeros for the last few games that we've really had. And at this point, I feel like it's a must have. I consider it like a must have for any game that I am running. Yeah, most games for sure. Yeah, I feel like Christian was saying it really lays down the groundwork. It gets kind of everyone on the same page. It allows me like when I'm as a GM to kind of go over everything, like the background and the rules and things like that. But just again, defining it, I think that one of the most important things you can do in a session zero, as far as getting on the same page, is do character creation in a session zero. All together, collaborate, work with your GM, that kind of thing. Because like Christian said, I'm sure we've all showed up to a game 
where we're like, oh, like I made this lawful good cleric of whatever. And then somebody shows up and they're just like, edge lord murder hobo. And you're like, we're supposed to be friends. I'm a ninja. (laughs) Yeah, session zeros are a great way to avoid being like two hours into your first real session of the game and realizing that you have five people who are supposed to do this thing together and they have absolutely no reason to even tolerate each other. Never mind work together. Yep. Sarah, do you have anything or should we? You guys have covered it. I will say that one of the, and I might be jumping ahead into what a player should expect to do during a session zero, if you guys are okay with me kind of jumping yeah, there. Yeah, well, we can hop around. One of the things that has come up a lot for me because I, I actually haven't had a ton of experience with Session Zeros, personally, outside of working with this group. Partially because a lot of my groups are virtual and are from places across New England. You're kind of also figuring out what roles your characters are fulfilling. And it's not necessarily in a metagame way, like, oh, we both can't be bards. One of us has to be something else. It's, no, all right. Well, if you're going to go into a campaign with a lot of combat and you guys don't have a tank, this will mm-hmm. be interesting. This will it could be a problem. Mm-hmm. And obviously the DM could just say, that's fine. I'll just run with it and we'll figure it out. But it's good. And maybe this is the video game side of me coming out and spilling over into <laughs> RPGs. But it's good to at least know what the party is going to look like before starting the game. Because mm-hmm. it can also it can influence what choices your character makes and what how you make your character. I think, and if I could jump on that from the standpoint of someone who's running the game as well, I think that's important to know what you're working with because it might, you know, if if you're running a published adventure, you might change some of the things in it. Uh, And even if you're running something that's homebrew, you might have to, depending on the game. You know, I mean, there was uh, a horror game. One of the reasons this group came together was because I wanted to run a Call of Cthulhu game set in Michigan where we investigated some uh, things going on in a forest outside of a a youth detention center. And uh, one of our players created an albino milk man. Uh, And I had to figure out a way to fit him into the group. And I did. But, you know, it's good that I knew that ahead of time, because if you just showed up at the table with that character, I, I probably would not have known what to do. Troy's not even here to defend himself, but uh, people yeah, that's, that's why I'm thinking people familiarize themselves with Troy's shenanigans shortly enough. In Unforgettable. Our yeah. group. But actually, that leads very well into the next section, which I think is what should GMs do? What should the GM bring to the table for a session zero to kind of set up for a really great campaign, cohesiveness and collaboration? And then, like Sarah was saying, you know, if you're a player in a game and you're invited to take part in a session zero, what should you do? Just make sure that you're setting yourself up to have a really good time with this campaign. So GM preparing for a session zero. There are, in my experience, there's groups of players fall into kind of two different ones. Some groups of players are very proactive. They want to like build their own story together. They want to take the lead on plot. And some want you to present them with all of the framework for a plot. And some of them even build their characters off of the plots available to them. They like to have that world, the big problem, and they like to think of how their players, their characters fit into the problem you provide. Some are the opposite. They like to make their characters, and then they like you to craft stories that bring out the qualities and the problems and experiences they want to explore there. So if you are not just cold running for a brand new group, if you have a feel on which one of those two groups uh, your, your players are comprised of, that's going to affect how you do your session zero. If it's the group where your players really love to make their characters and then they love to kind of direct the story on their own and decide the things that they want to get into, groups that love sandboxes usually like this, 
then you would probably prepare some questions for them about their characters to help you get to know their characters, their characters' flaws, their characters' traumas, their characters' desires. All of that is information you should pull from them in session zero. And then you can use that to start crafting the plot or the introduction um, and make them relevant to each character in your first actual session. If you have the latter group, come to the table with some premises, some options that they can run from. Be like, uh, what do you think about a world like this? What do you think about a problem like this? What do you think about a starting situation like this? Have a few of them and then see what intrigues everybody. And you can start working off of that from there. I'll say in terms of the the proactive group, one of the things that I've experienced was, again, this was a group that did not have a session zero because we were scattered around New England. Our DM actually met with us and I am by no means saying that everyone has to do this. This is an option that I have experienced and liked. Our DM sat down with us individually to talk about backstory, personal plot, secrets, because this was a group of people that the DM and all of us knew each other. We all knew we liked role play. We knew we liked secrets and lore drops about our characters and finding out about each other. So having that one-on-one time with the DM to set things in motion is like, all right, here's what my character's gone through. Here's their current motive. Obviously it'll change. And here are the things that they're directly hiding from the group can really give a DM a lot to work with and a lot of stuff to build into the world. Yeah, I like that. Um, that's that's wonderful. Whenever your players give you stuff to work off of, it just you, your work is done. Um, no, but what I was going to say about as a, as a DM or a GM coming to a session zero, I think probably one of the more important things you can communicate to the group is ultimately you're you're probably the person who decided or at the very least knows the most about the rule system that you're running, right? Uh, so so it's it's pretty much up to you to set that expectation, right? If you're running, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, okay, well, are you running a high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons with a lot of, lot of magic and stuff where it's going to be like, you know, like Forgotten Realms? Are you running a low magic sword and sorcery sort of thing like Dark Sun or like a Conan story where it's going to be a lot grittier? That informs the player's choices of what sort of characters they're going to build, right? Because, you know, Elminster is not going to fit into, you know, Conan or, or something like that. Uh, so, so it lets them kind of build build on what you gave them. And it also lets them understand, and I think this gets to the last thing we're going to talk about today, safety tools, lets you know, or lets them know a little bit about what they're getting into, especially if they're playing a game that maybe isn't as light and there are going to be darker elements. It's good to have that open line of communication where it's like, hey, you know, this is kind of some of the places this stuff might veer. How do you feel about that? Are you going to be okay with that? Amber opened that up with a great point, which is definitely feel out your players. <laughs> like yeah. know if you're going to have to railroad them is a huge part of it. They're, if they're not going to bite and you got to dangle that carrot, you know what I mean? Whatever you got to do to get them moving. That's one thing. But I think that like one of the most important things too, is really, you got to start at the bare bones, like pitch your game or multiple prompts. You know what I mean? If you have those players who are going to be proactive or reactive, but you give them options and say like, hey, here's this one campaign I had that is literally going to be on the, the front lines of a war zone versus another campaign, which is like, we're going to do some planar hopping into goofy Feywild shenanigans. Like those are two very different campaigns. Yep. And, you know, but how those players engage with those ideas will give you a lot. And then, like everybody said before, the more they can give you on their backstory, the more you can dive in and ask them pointed questions about their characters beyond just what the mechanics and attributes on the character sheet say. I personally call those knives. I've seen those called knives on the internet and things like that. And basically the premise of that is 
your players, when they're making their characters, are going to give you connections they have to the world. And in the hands of a DM or a GM, those are knives that when they least expect it, you slide in between their ribs and twist to give them an emotional response, like make them care again. In the literary world, it's called kill your darlings. Do that. You know what I mean? Like, do not be afraid to drop some serious, crazy drama. Your players are literally giving you that drama in a session zero, which can be harder to figure out if you don't talk about it beforehand. And also as a GM, be prepared to help your characters in that character creation. If they come really wanting to play a, uh, let's just say- An albino milkman? Yeah, an albino milkman. You got to figure out a way to make that work. But again, you can can make that work. Yeah, not not to- Yes and is very important in session zero. Yes and. Not to go all mechanical and stuff like that, but I think as a GM, you should also be very familiar with what the character creation process is like, or at least have someone in your group who knows all of the steps of character creation, because you'll have players like me (laughs) who uh, don't know, who walk in there and don't know anything about what it takes to make a character. And I need someone who will walk me step by step into, you know, whatever it takes, like modifiers or level one, like what it is that that you need to roll or do or write down or set up. Um, So I think it's important for the game master to kind of either know that or have someone in the group, just be prepared that someone will kind of walk through that. Yeah. Mechanically. Yeah. That's I've actually been that player when I, when I got back into RPGs, I was an undergrad in college and I had a friend who had a bunch of the Pathfinder books, Pathfinder first edition. And we were talking about starting up a campaign with my roommate and a couple of our other friends. And none of us had played Pathfinder before except the GM. And I was looking through the core rule book and I saw a picture of a druid character and I pointed at her and went, I want to be her. How do I be her? And so we went from there. And that was my character for almost an entire year. Uh, and it only ended because she died. <laughs> the Pathfinder iconic druid is amazing. I think, what's her name? Linny? Is that her Linny. name? Linny. Oh, yeah. my girl. Uh, yeah, she's great. And that's actually another really good tip is bring pre-generated characters. If people don't want to go through the whole process and they're not in a mood where they're creatively thinking and saying, I don't know what I want to play in that prompt that you just dropped on us, uh, you can say, well, you know, if we know that this campaign is going to be about, uh, you know, delving these lost ruins for ancient treasures, I made an archaeologist character here. And that person can go, okay, I can work with this. That's a good suggestion, Rainey. I was just going to say, also have an idea of how long you want your game to generally run, right? I am huge on this. Yes, go, go. Yeah, Yeah. because that's how... Yeah, that's how in-depth your character will also have to be. It it would suck if your players are kind of building out this huge backstory of a character and you're playing for like two sessions, you know? And I mean, it's great, but like that's a lot of time that maybe not necessarily will get used. And I think if I I could give any DM a tip if they're running a campaign, the, the single best one I would say is like, know how long you want to run your campaign. And my advice would be like plan 10 to 12 sessions because you know what, realistically you have a reachable end goal in place. A lot of campaigns kind of fizzle out after eight sessions because life gets in the way. At least mm-hmm. you're finished. There's a sense of closure there. You can always pick it up and run again. And it just operates as a, I call it like a Netflix series, right? You, you get your first 10 episodes out of the way. People can always come back to that world, but at least you had closure in the storyline. Everybody yeah, has anime like, fans will know arcs. Yeah. Arcs, right? Arcs. Yeah, definitely. Arcs. 
Um, and speaking of arcs, knowing how long the campaign is going to be ahead of time is helpful for players to know where they need to start in their character arc. Like if it's a shorter campaign, you need to start like right before the turn or you need to yep. be exploring the aftermath of a huge mm-hmm. turn that is hit in your character because you're not going to have time for that full arc from the beginning to the crisis to the end there versus yeah, something but- longer where you can start one way and then figure out how you're going to change through the game um, as it goes on. So speaking of, because we've just started talking about as a GM, how to help your players do this. If you are a player, do we have any other pointers for people going in to a session zero as a player? Yes. (laughs) I feel very passionately about this. If you are a player and you are going into a session zero with people you know or people you don't know, please, 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 for the love of all the players at the table, for the love of yourself and for the love of your GM, go into that session with a genuine curiosity and interest in the other players. Mm-hmm. You cannot go in only interested in your own character and your own character story. If you do that, if everybody does that, the game is going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. So look for things that interest you in other people's characters and find out a way to genuinely connect and care about other characters' arcs. And that will just create such a more dynamic and enjoyable party dynamic between all of you. So go in looking for some other people to love besides yourself. We're going to talk about this next, which is what games do session zeros well or have uh, tools that reinforce that kind of collaboration. But I agree. Like there's been a couple of games that I've played. Like I said at the beginning, I have an RPG problem. I love RPG design. So I buy tons of games and love, you know, just scouring them for different approaches, different ways to do things. And there are quite a few games and we'll talk about them in a minute that actually it's a prerequisite that you have to define your relationship with other player characters and that is a huge huge part of it and that's something that you don't always get with D. the library campaign that i've been running at your library amber was just come and play you know so i had two people show up and make characters together the first time and then three people come another time then one person just randomly show up and it was really hard to be like you guys are a team, but like a session zero can facilitate that for sure. Another piece of advice I have for players is if you can read ahead, know a little bit of the rules. It's not a must, but it's very helpful. And then also do not be shy about telling your GM what you want to do in the game. If you've never been able to play that undead slayer and you're like, I don't know if you have anything, but I would love to do a campaign where I just smite things to hell pitch it you know do reverse pitch to your gm maybe they have something that they've been i'm actually gonna jump on that rainy and and go back to what can the gm do in session zero and say that as a gm sometimes your players won't come out and tell you that but pay very very close attention to the characters they build and the skills they choose because they're telling you what they want to do right right Right. What? Why do I feel something very pointed at me right now? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I knew it. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's just no. It's not. Know. It's not. Sarah. Sarah plays very nurturing, caring doctors like constantly. Um, She's a party cleric. Yeah. <laughs> Permanently. This is also kind of a GM thing, but actually, this this is more of when I, as a player, kind of make a character. I I very much like to know how the adventure is going to start. Like, I like to know like where, what that opening scene is, what that first kind of 
What's Maybe the hook? Not, not the encounter, but yeah, what the hook is. Just because like I, for my characters, usually like to imagine what where they are at that point in their lives when the adventure starts and what they've been doing all the way up until then, right? So like I, I as a player, like to make sure that my character has some sort of drive or motivation. Usually I try to make sure that that is aligned with where the adventure is going to go. If I know generally what the theme and what the overall adventure is going to be about, I'm very, very bad at that. So as much as I say, I usually try, I never do, but I do very much like to know exactly like where my character is in their life when the adventure starts. That's a great point because I think that probably the most valuable thing you can bring as a player is willingness to bite on the hook. Yeah. Yeah. You have to build a character that wants to do what the adventure is about. Uh, let me just say, though, fair warning, uh, because this is a slippery slope, definitely lean in and, and like, you know, bite that hook and follow that lead, because that's where all the, you know, you're going to get into the, the meat and potatoes of the adventure. But do not make a level one character who is already an expert swordsman. Like, please understand that your character can't even beat up a town guard at, you know what I mean? Like, at level mm-hmm. one, like, right, right. be reasonable. But at the same time, that's just that's just nitpicking. That's a warning against Mary Sue's and Gary Stews. We uh, we know them <laughs> everywhere. All we go. I ever they make do not work well for level one characters. <laughs> right. That's all I ever make. I graduated top of my class into- <laughs> at wizard school, and I'm a level one wizard. Yeah. Okay, interesting. That segues into another point I'd like to make. Looking at Jess, um, <laughs> is when you're creating your character, please create your character with something missing. Like not on your character sheet, do fill that out, but something missing from who they need to be by the end of the story something missing from their lives, something they have to confront. Do not make somebody who is exactly what they are and they live in perfect harmony with themselves. Like that's not going to be fun to work with or play with. So make flawed characters, have something missing that you need to figure out, encounter, confront to be who you need to be at the end of the game. That is different than who you were at the beginning of the game. Um, Conflict is the game. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I will say, though, uh, kind of branching off that, but also, as we talked about earlier, every game has a different length. If you're preparing for a full campaign where you are taking characters from level 1 to 20, even 1 to 10, pull into that character arc, like as Amber said, create those flawed characters. If you're playing a one-session game and you just want to go ham and just go... All right, we're doing be ridiculous. Uh, yeah, be ridiculous. Just like, all right, I, right. you know, I'm going to use a player um, that most of us at the library have worked with before. His one shot character is a kobold barbarian who thinks he's a dragonborn. He does not need character development. He only uses him for one shots, but it's hysterical. And all of us, at least I speak for myself, but I, say, I always enjoy when he brings that character to the table because you, one, you know what to expect, but two, it's very funny. Yep. So if you're going scraps. into a one, yeah, this is Scraps. Scraps is great. Scraps <laughs> needs a shout out. We all know him. Big shout out to Scraps. Love him. Wonderful, wonderful dragonborn delightful fella but you are able to go ridiculous in those shorter games yeah um that's true that's true and i think some of us some of us have done that again i will i will pick on troy for him not being here the the albino milkman it's a a very specific character choice but that game lasted for five sessions total yep, yep. even ronnie swolman is pretty ridiculous <laughs> His his roided out veterinarian in Blades in the Dark is also a pretty ridiculous (laughs) character. But uh, yeah. Well, so now we've brought up a couple of different games, though, too. Uh, Does anybody else have anything to add to player or GM advice? 
I was just going to say last thing was just make sure that if you're a player, build things in the worlds that you're playing, you know, that's more that you get to interact with. That's more that gets to come up and for you to play with. So definitely get an idea of the setting that you're in. If you're a city, rural space, you know, whatever, build into that so that you have more to play with. I was just going to say, it'll give your GM a lot. Like one of the characters in a short game I ran was like, oh, I, you know, I've got the, the merchant background. And in this city, my family runs a winery. And I was like, that's perfect. And they were infiltrating a palace. And she was like, can I bring some wine from my family orchard as a bribe? And I was like, that is perfect. Yes, absolutely. So having having a player kind of build something like that into the world, as Jess said, helps a lot with as a GM. Just like, yeah, no, this is perfect. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Share with players, too, so that you can build things together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually great advice too uh, for the GM prep side of things. One of the best bits of advice I ever read in a game, and I've played multiple editions of Dungeons and Dragons going back a while. But when I picked up Dungeon World, one of the best GM tips I ever got was draw maps, leave blanks. And that's just, you know, you're the GM. You may think like I have everything kind of floating around in my head. Your characters, your players know none of this stuff. But one of the best things you can do is have a few major settlements, have a few major plot points, have all this stuff. But let those characters say things and then you grab onto that and use that. Put it into your world. It saves you time. It gets your brain going, gets the creative juices flowing in a place that you might not have expected. So as a GM, also go in prepared to get ideas from your players. It's not your story. You know, you're just, you're the world. It's their story. And it makes drop checkoff guns for you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it makes the players happy. I'll give a shout out to, I just started a homebrew campaign with some of my friends and one of my players pitched this character who wanted to like restore a Royal line. And like it, a a whole thing just like came from it. He was like, I'm an exile from like this person usurped the throne in this country. And I was just like, just, just keep going. I started taking notes and I was like, all right, now this is a whole part of this thing. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Yeah, it was really cool. And now we have this really interesting thing that in my homebrew world that I've been brainstorming for a long time wasn't even a plot hook. All right, so let's move on to, if people have never done them before, we've given them some advice. We've given them some ideas on how to go in and, and make it a productive event. But are there any games that you guys would like to share, resources, things that do session zeros well that people can take a look at and, and learn from and, and just get better at GMing? I think I'd like to, I know I know what games you're going to talk about, so I'm not going to talk about them. I have a lot, but yes. Yeah. I know you do. Uh, I'm going to say Fate right off the bat. Uh, the Fate, fate rule system, um, it's actually part of their game creation. It's game creation, it's not character creation. Uh, yes. Everybody sits down together, they design their characters, they have something called the Fate Fractal, where you have to come up with basically your character's origin story, how they encountered each other before the game even started. And so I think that's that's important. I just started and ended a 12-session superhero arc. Sarah was a player in that, and we all sat down, and we created it together. And, you know, and I had just a general idea of, like, all right, I'm going to have this city, and it's going to be, like, you know, Gotham-y sort of in a way, but also in New Jersey, so I could do a New Jersey accent. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to have all this stuff. And I kind of had a basic idea, but they they gave me their characters and their people, and they told me the things that they cared about, right? So now I know what knives to what to stick the knives in. You know, and so I was able to do that. But we sat down and we built that whole thing together. And that made it really fun, I think. And that was my first time actually playing Fate, which was also good because I wasn't an expert on the rules. So we kind of all figured it out together. But it's absolutely 
made you do that. And Session Zero was built in. Fate is say- a very good game for collaboratively world building. It really is. And I believe if anybody's listening and interested, I believe Fate Condensed or Fate Accelerated, one of the Fate systems is free on, I think, Evil Hat's website. Is that who puts that one out? Yeah, Evil Hat puts that. There's also called Evil the, Hat. The Fate, Fate SRD, uh, which yep. I think that's actually just the website, fatesrd.com, which is all the rules are free. Yeah, there's a great resource called A Spark in Fate Core, which is all about actually basically running a collaborative world building session of fate. I was just going to say um, with with the fate group, none of us had played before, uh, knowing everyone else in the group as well as I did. And that was the first time any of us had ever played and having that session zero built in not only helped us become familiar with the rules, but also helped us really build the world around us. One of the parts about fate that I will specifically sing the praises of is you create NPC connections for your characters, which helps flesh out the world around you. Uh, and I will not sing the praises of my own NPC connection. I will sing the praises of Babushka, who ah, Babushka. <laughs> one of our uh, one of our players decided that he wanted his character to be of Russian descent, and he took care of his elderly grandmother babushka and she went from this offhand joke idea to this insane woman that anytime she was mentioned the entire table got excited so having that and being able to create her through that brought another thing to the table that everyone loved does anybody have any other games they want to pitch for session zero resources or anything like that I know kind of a type of game Um, and there are a few uh, few like it off the top of my head like a rogue trader or fragged empire a lot of space games tend to uh, you take the role of you're playing a crew which requires you to assign your character job somebody's going to be the captain somebody's going to be a quartermaster somebody's going to be a navigator and that can be really helpful for building party cohesion and just talking about what your character's job on this is going to be. You can be anyone within that job, but figuring out that relationship of that job and how that makes you interact with the rest of the group can be really helpful. Uh, and that's a mechanic that if it doesn't exist mechanically in the game you're playing, you can apply that to the premise of whatever campaign you're doing. Like we're all playing students at a magic university here. Like what's your major? Like that sort of thing. Or you are all pirates. Like what is your role on this ship? You are all city guards like what what department do you work in like roles just in within teams so that is something to think of that will help you kind of have instant cohesion if you work with that sort of chassis <laughs> that yeah that ties into our blades in the dark campaign that we started our little short series of blades in the dark that we ran all of those forged in the dark games actually revolve around the pcs as a crew of some sort so you have uh, Blades in the Dark, where you play a group of either smugglers or assassins or uh, hawkers, or there's a bunch of different crew types. Uh, and then there's all of the other Forged in the Dark games like Scum and Villainy, where you're playing the crew of a spaceship. Probably, again, smugglers or something similar, you know, vigilantes, revolutionaries. And then there's Band of Blades, where you're playing the last uh, survivors of a military squadron. And you just need to make your way through a war-torn battlefield region. All of the Forge in the Dark games do a really good job of making your characters build interpersonal relationships. That was going to be one of my recommendations for sure. I really enjoyed everything John Harper designs. I can keep going. John Harper makes good stuff. Sarah, talk about um, Good Society. 
Yes. Oh, God. I didn't even think about Good Society. So for anyone who doesn't know, Good Society is a Jane Austen-inspired tabletop RPG. It is completely diceless, can be run GM-less, or the GM can have a player character without breaking the game. I was actually fortunate enough to play a game with V, who is one of the creators of Good Society, and she played a character while also acting in the role of the facilitator. And it it didn't detract from the game at all. In fact, I think it added to it by having that extra character. And part of the requirement of Good Society is to build your characters together, because part of character creation is their relationships to one another. Every character has a relationship. Obviously, characters will have more than one relationship, but there's one that's kind of important to them that defines part of who they are. And it goes almost in a circular manner. So everyone's direct relation will go to the next person who will have one to the next person and so on so that everyone has one direct relation at the table, which is a way to get everyone involved together. Part of Good Society's character creation is also similar to Fate, creating NPCs. But the fun part of it is you create your NPC and then someone else plays them. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Like, for example, when I played, um, I played uh, Laird Sidney Gower, who was a adopted child of a baroness and they were very artsy and a writer the npc i created was a priest who hated sydney because they helped his daughter run off with the man she loved so another player at the table got to play the priest so when i was at a scene with them it was the character i had created but played by someone else that just brought up so much fun and tension and all of that and sometimes (laughs) And somehow we keep picking on Troy, even though he's not here. Sometimes those minor NPCs will just come back as major NPCs with a vengeance, for example. But it just, it adds to the fun and chaos of the game. Yeah, I like that. That's the first I've heard of a mechanic where you create an NPC to be controlled by another player. I do have a couple of other recommendations for games that do allow you to make those relationship kind of webs between characters during a session zero or a session one. And this is the first time, like you said, you made an antagonistic NPC in Kids on Bikes, and it's offshoots Kids in Space and Kids on Brooms now, if you want to play in that magical school kind of setting. That has a really great session zero or session one mechanic during character creation, where everybody has to sit around the table and roll a D20, and you set up whether or not you have a positive or negative relationship with every other player at that table. And I think you have the option to say, I don't know this person yet. It even then says, what's the rumor you've heard about this person? Which is a really great way to just kind of say, all right, you're all tangentially aware and working together when this happens. And then similarly, and I've talked about it before, Dungeon World, uh, also during character creation, you do it at the same time because one of the things that it has in that game are bonds, uh, which is in quite a few of the other powered by the apocalypse games although uh, a lot of them have changed it because bonds and dungeon world mechanically are a little funky but it's a great concept where you sit around on the table and when everyone's done with their character you have to fill in a blank for one of your bonds on the characters and that it, it could be something you know like this person doesn't understand my religion i'll make sure they know it and that just already informs you this is how i'm going to interact with this other player at the table their character i really like that I feel obliged to bring up probably the two most popular role-playing games because things like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder don't exactly have built-in 
mechanics or even if you read the rule books don't really tell you a lot of things to do in a session zero that will make it better. I've tried with the traits, flaws, and bonds, but like, I don't know anybody who consistently fills those out. So <laughs> yeah, I actually, very I much think there's one of the, one of the five e books, I think it's Tasha's has stuff about having a session zero in it actually. Yeah. yeah. One of the new ones. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll say this, and this isn't just me being a much bigger Paizo fan than uh, Wizards of the Coast, but I will say that even going back to Pathfinder First Edition, and you can get them for Second Edition still. If you're going to be running a published adventure through Paizo, one of their adventure paths, get the player's guide. The it, it's you know it'll be called Rise of the Rune Lords Player's Guide or whatever, and they literally make like a twenty-page little booklet to hand to your players. And it gives them information about the surrounding region, the premise of the campaign. It even gives them traits that are directly related to what is going to be happening in this campaign that kind of steer them in the right direction. You and can it's do this, free. And they're free. All of the player's guides for Pathfinder and Star... Oh, Starfinder doesn't do them. But Pathfinder APs are free to download their PDFs on the Paizo website. Oh, 100%. I, as a non-creative not a GM that is not able to adapt on the fly very well, depend on those player guides so, so, so much. They are so helpful. Yeah, they're full of juicy little nuggets to just sprinkle into your campaign. Even if your characters, even if your players don't engage with them during character creation, they're still full of great ideas to just, if you need a drag and drop NPC, they have notable NPCs. If you need, you know what I mean? Anything. Uh, that's just a really great resource that I think if you're playing one of the more traditional tabletop role-playing games, you can still find resources that will really help you set it up for success. And I, I will say at this point, we are not by any means ragging on popular RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. That is how most of us met oh, yeah. uh, through games like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. We I all mean, sometimes we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. I will unabashedly uh, <laughs> those games, but um, but what what I'm saying is we're not yeah. here to no. hate on them. We play them, we enjoy them, but we're also kind of being like, hey, look at all these other cool things. Right. That's that's yeah, the key exactly. thing with this uh, this entire series of our podcast, which is not only to maybe signal boost and spotlight some smaller RPGs, you know, smaller companies things, but just show you guys that there are people out there designing incredible games that even if it's not the game for you, you might find something in it that really elevates whatever game you are playing. And then I guess very appropriately to say, you know, we're not here to rag on any anything, but we also don't want to end without talking about safety tools during a session zero or in any game. It could come up two, three sessions in. These are very important things to set boundaries and let your players know what potential subject matter could trigger them. And and you do not want to upset your players. You want everybody to come and have a great time at the table. So there are quite a few popular ones. Do you guys want to bring up any that you're familiar with? Oh, uh, the X card is probably one of the most well-known safety devices. And then lines and veils is the other. Better just kind of predefined. The X card is... Very simple. It's if at any point anything is making you uncomfortable in this game, there is a card, a private message you send, a hand raise, a gesture, just something that you, a player can point to. And that signals to the GM to gloss over whatever is happening. It's making somebody uncomfortable and move on, get past it. That's fade to black and move not on. Not where you yeah. want to be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lines and veils is an adult discussion, basically, at, yes. at your session zero. We talk with your players and you say, okay, this is kind of what this campaign is going to involve. Here are some of the 
common difficult contents that may appear in this game by no means are difficult contents exhaustive and it is impossible to anticipate all of them because all human experiences are unique and you never know what is going to be difficult for somebody but some are obvious if there's violence child abuse any kind of um sexual content anything like that you bring that up you say these are probably going to be in this game if that's okay with everyone yeah, is there draw anything your that line. anybody does yeah. not want to be in this game like at all like somebody might be like a line is child abuse i do not want to hear about abused children i do not want to meet characters who were abused as children i do not want to see children being abused somebody else might be like this makes me uncomfortable but i'm willing to have it exist in the world that's a veil you might find a um an adult character who talks about or has it a, a history of child abuse, you do not see a child being abused on screen. Right. You might um, find a child with some bruises on them. You will not see that child being hit. Um, that's more of a veil. Lines and veils is just code for adult discussion. Please tell me what you do not want, uh, mm-hmm. what is difficult for you and should be used with caution. Yeah, I actually, I'll say this. You know, I always talk about, it. I play with a lot of the same people, so I'm familiar with them, but like this is a great way to just, set up those boundaries. You know, I run that game for the library and that was something I made a little Google forms at the beginning of it because I was playing with complete strangers. So I said, Hey, how long are you comfortable playing in this campaign for? Like, are you guys in it for the long haul or do you want me to try and keep it short? And then at the end it was, are there any things that you want me to completely avoid? And one of the players said something that I'd never heard, but it made all the sense in the world. And I've done my best to keep it out of the game, but it was violence against animals. And in a game like D&D, that can be very difficult if, you know, I'm sicking beasts on you. But, you know, at the same time, she understood uh, she was a Beastmaster Ranger. And it wasn't just her clever way of being mechanically saying, don't beat up my panther. It would made her very uncomfortable. So we found a way around it and we've had a great time. It's never even been an issue. But it was something that if she hadn't told me that, that's something that's easily something that can come up in a game like Dungeons and Dragons. There is also Monty Cook has consent in gaming. Which, yes. is, which is a free download, which uh, comes built in with one of those questionnaires, basically covering a whole lot of different stuff. And uh, it has a rating system uh, everywhere from like, bring it on to like, I don't ever want to hear you talk about this at all. And people can kind of like, you know, anonymously fill them out and hand them in and, and go that way if you want to. You know, I mean, that might be too much work for some people. And, and I can understand that a little bit. Nobody wants to feel like, you know, it's not it's a role-playing game. It's not human resources. But that being said, I think if you're playing with, people you don't know too well. It's worthwhile to have some sort of discussion. It only shows respect for them. Absolutely. Uh, But the the thing I would say about Lines and Veils and the Monte Cook questionnaire is even if you use that, I would still encourage you to use something like the X card because you know what? You might think you're perfectly fine with something until it happens at the team. And you might never see it coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, having something simple as just a little index card or if yeah. you're playing on Zoom or anything like that, you know, just raise your hand or have a, a symbol. Definitely a very easy way to do that. And I, I just wanted to add that no thing is too small. Like I know that we're kind of talking about serious topics too, but on top of that, like any any small thing is okay to kind of try and avoid if it makes you feel uncomfortable. If you kind of don't want to go into like your character dealing with family conflict, or if you don't want to just explore friendship, like if it if it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's still something that you can avoid. Yeah, and absolutely. feel free, yeah, feel free to ask your players too. It's it's usually very hard, right, to maybe sometimes bring that up up front. And you might not necessarily know until you're in the middle of the game, but feel free to ask up front too for people to kind of bring up anything mm-hmm. that they want to avoid that they knowingly know at the beginning. 
Well, I just want everybody here to know that as a GM, one of my lines is orphaned PCs. Let's not bring, I'm just kidding. That's a joke that you could totally make an orphan. PC. Um, <laughs> well, what game can you, maybe Good Society is like the only yeah. one you can run without orphaned PCs. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So this is, this is not a joke and I, I definitely don't want to take this in a non-serious direction because this is obviously a serious thing too, but I have a I have a deathly fear of zombies. Like I just I hate zombies. I think about them a lot. I don't like them. They cause me anxiety. And so I, I can deal with fighting zombies, whatever. But when people go into descriptions of zombies and their movements and their sounds, I I just can't take it. So that's actually one of my lines. And that's a pretty uh, not common one, I would say. But it does stress me out. Yeah. Yeah. And zombies right. super common in D and D, so that's a good thing mm-hmm. to know before you run. It is, and I, I am a DM, and I run zombies, and it's easier obviously that way because I'm in control of them. But anything that's out there. Thank you for telling us that, Jess. So on the topics of session zeros, we've gone over what you should go into it ready to achieve as a GM, as a player, ways to be helpful, ways to build characters that are going to engage in the story and drive everything forward in a way that is going to be productive and fun. We've talked about some games and resources that you can go find on the internet and download that might help you get some ideas for ways to get that information from your players. And we've talked about safety tools that everyone should be using at the table, just so that way everybody is having a good time. Does anybody have any uh, final comments or anything that they want to say about Session Zeros before we wrap up our first episode? One thing to add to the safety thing that I just totally slipped my mind, but is important. This slips a lot of people's minds. If you can, at session zero, when you're having your safety discussion, Lens and Veils X card, ask people how they feel about character death and figure out how you're going to handle that ahead of time because sometimes uh, somebody creates a character they're deeply invested in and then that character dies and they think the character's gone forever and it's incredibly stressful. So if you tell people like, hey, this is the kind of game I want to run. This is how we're going to treat death. Is that okay with everybody? Is everybody okay ahead of time? I usually, um, for my games, tell people that just like straight up, I will never permanently deprive you of a character that you love. So do if you are dying and die, like, do not worry. We will talk after the session. We will figure it out. I'm not going to take away a character that you love whose arc you're invested in and never get to explore. If you want that character back, we will create plot points around it. We will use it to enhance the game. You big but some people Amber. don't like games like that. That ruins their suspension of disbelief. So then that's something that should be known up front also. I think that's a great point. Our podcast on character death and RPGs, anyway. We are. If listeners want to hear about our takes on character death and ways to handle it, different games wise, that will be an episode that we will be doing. A great point. Any other final comments about session zeros? I would say, yeah, go have one and start a game with your friends. Yeah, I was just going to say, just that love them, need to have them, just definitely do them. Worth it every time. Yeah, even if it's a. 10 minute, just spitball ideas. It can go a long way. You'd be surprised at the information you can get. Go in with an open mind and with a pencil with an eraser. I say that jokingly, but I also do say that seriously. And like session zeros are a time to test out different things, see what works, see what doesn't and go, all right, five minutes of erasing on my paper now. I'm happy with what I've got. It's a time for testing grounds. Don't be afraid to use it that way. Keep playing games. Go have a session zero. Thank you guys so much for listening to Modified Rolls, the DMs After Dark podcast. Mm. If there's something else you want to hear, slide into our DMs on Facebook or email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com.